stay connected this winter with this unbeatable deal from BreezeLine. Get reliable, fiber-powered internet for just $19.99 per month with all-in pricing for two years. But that's not all. Your first month is on us. This deal gets better with a free modem and installation along with free Wi-Fi your way whole home coverage. Safeguard your network from cyber threats and keep all your devices connected and secured with this amazing offer. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires March 3rd, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. For years, I just dreaded going to the dentist. But at Advanced Dentistry, I don't have to. First and foremost, they want you to feel comfortable when you walk in. Like, you'll feel it. Whereas in the past, I might have gone into the dentist and thinking, I might feel some pain at some point. But with IV sedation, it can be something that you don't dread. If you've been avoiding the dentist because of fear, worry, or just not wanting to be judged, you're not alone. Visit NoFearDentist.com to learn how IV sedation can change your life. I am always trying to learn as much as I can. I have stacks of books that I'm very much intending to read. I have stacks of magazines that I have subscribed to. I have podcasts just queued up to infinity. In fact, I listen to so many podcasts that I run out of ones that are the kinds of things I really like to listen to, which tend to be like history and social science which is why I love The Great Courses Plus. It is the streaming service created exactly for people like me and probably for people like you if you are listening to this podcast. If you haven't signed up yet, you need to. You can learn from the world's leading professors and experts about anything that interests you. History, politics, and science and religion, which is what I listen to, or practicing mindfulness or cooking or photography. There is unlimited access to over 10,000 fascinating lectures, which you can watch or listen along to anytime, anywhere with the Great Courses Plus app. And the Great Courses Plus has a new course that is a great companion to the kinds of things we talk about here. Why You Are Who You Are, Investigations into Human Personality. And the class I was just listening to has to do with the five vectors of personality. You may not realize why that sounds familiar, but it's because that was a part of the Cambridge Analytica scandal. Uh, The personality tests that they did to get people's data analyzed personalities across these five vectors, which included things like openness, agreeableness, and conscientiousness. If you're wondering what those things tell you about a person, well, this is the class to listen to. Now, if you're interested, there is a special limited time offer for you, our listeners, a free month of unlimited access to enjoy this and any of their lectures. But you have to go to the special URL to start your free month, and that is thegreatcoursesplus.com slash friends. Again, that's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash friends. Don't forget the the and don't forget the plus because it will send you someplace different. Thegreatcoursesplus.com slash friends. Hi, it's Anna Marie Cox, and welcome to With Friends Like These, a show where we talk about the differences between us without letting them divide us. The show this week is with a special returning guest, Rick Wilson. Uh, Fans of the show may recognize him from his frequent appearances last season. I'm hoping this is the first of many frequent appearances this season. Rick Wilson is a former practitioner of the GOP dark arts turned never Trump stalwart. He is one of the cleverest new allies I have ever found. He's always a joy to talk to. He writes now regularly for the Daily Beast. He also has a book coming out, which we'll probably talk about for a little bit. And after the interview with Rick, stay tuned for Ira Madison III and myself taking on a listener question. And without further ado, 
Rick Wilson. So it's been it's been a few months since we've talked, um, but fortunately, you know, news has been slow. So, (laughs) so we don't have a lot to talk about or anything, but, uh, how have you been? Uh, I've been very busy. I finished my book in, uh, the middle of April and turned it into my publisher at Simon & Schuster. So I am, uh, I'm very excited about that development. It, uh, it was a, it was a a four month push to get it done, but uh, I got it done and on time and and uh, now we're in the joyous process of editing. And it's so, about uh, puppies and flowers and... It is, basically. No? It's, it's it's about my bucolic <laughs> lifestyle in North Florida. Or about <laughs> Donald Trump and the horrifying tragedy and costs he's imposing upon our country. Is it an extended rage tweet? Or uh, can we expect more from from your, your musings? I, I think you could you can expect a good amount of rage. That will, that will be how the... Uh, that will be how my former friends on the conservative side will, 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 will frame it. They'll say, this is an angry book by an angry man. And, uh, you know, because I love the Republic. Yeah. There's some anger in it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and because I care about the country, there's some, there's some passion in it, uh, about the, 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 the depths to which this man has sort of dragged us, not only as a, a party and a movement, but as a country. Now, normally, if I knew someone was working on a book for four months, I wouldn't bother asking them about current events because I'd assume they were in a book hole. For all that time, but uh, right. I assume that you have actually had your head out of the book hole, uh, as it were. I just don't don't stick too long with that image, but we'll keep going. Um, yeah, <laughs> it has been a while since we've talked, and I mean, I can't even begin to list the things that have happened. So I'm springing this on you a little bit, but I wonder what do you think is the most important thing that's happened in our republic since the winter. Well, I think the most important thing is that, you know, we've continued to have a, an administration that basically every day goes out to um, subvert uh, justice and goes out to cover its tracks, um, not only on the things it's done, but on the things it's doing. And, and I, think we're, I, think, I think the country has entered a much riskier phase now because we essentially have 40% of the population that is perfectly fine with criminality, law-breaking, um, and, and, a, and a variety of things that that are, you know, if, if nothing else, the kiss and cousins of of the kind of dangerous totalitarianism that both sides have always warned about the other executing on. Um, and I think that, you know, look, it, it is evident that Donald Trump is out of control. That's the biggest story, that, that this man has no discipline, either personal, political, legal. There is no control over Donald Trump that is being or could be exercised at this point. And I think he presents a a tremendous uh, risk to the country because of that. I think he presents a tremendous danger to our institutions because of that. And 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 we look half the time right now, the conservative media is spending trying to burn down the FBI, yeah, and the Department of Justice, and 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 half the time that Congress is spending is trying to uh, burn down the special counsel, uh, burn down the DOJ all to protect Donald Trump's political bottom line, which, you know, I, 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 as, a, as a young conservative growing up, I always thought that the rule of law mattered. Mm. And apparently it doesn't. Apparently it is pure expedience. It is the only thing that, that only, only scorekeeping mechanism in the era of Trump that matters because, you know, I, I see a lot of people who, who got on a very, very high horse during the Obama administration about things like, um, 
the DOJ, uh, and now suddenly, um, as long as it's, it's, it's fulfilling their political desire to end states, it's all great. It's super. So. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I I am, you know, sort of skeptical of the I guess the FBI is good now. Democrats, you know, like the FBI has been up to mm-hmm. some shit. Like, let's face it, you know, th- this is not they do have less than a spotless record when it comes to civil rights and human rights. Sure. Um, but one of I think the smartest things I've seen in the discussions around what's happening to our country is conservatives warning other conservatives that this is going to come back and bite us in the ass, guys. Like, right. and it does seem, you know, a lot of things are not new and different about the about the fights we're having now. A lot of these are just kind of escalations right. of previous fights. But I do feel like the dismissal of the rule of law is something that Republicans and conservatives haven't really done before. As I as I said to a couple of, of my you know fellow conservatives and and, and I guess fellow Republicans, mm-hmm. um, although they seem more Trumpians than Trumpians and anything else now, um, you know, what happens? When you have hypothesized for a moment with me, what happens when you have a, not just a Democratic president, but a skillful, charismatic, aggressive, populist uh, president who decides that they're going to apply the exact same principles of executive power that Donald Trump is doing? And that that person's going to spend their days trying to burn down any institution or any or any or any legislative stricture on them, um, and, and is, trying, is going to try to mobilize an incredibly aggressive, um, an incredibly uh, hostile set of, of supporters who are going to go out and and if you oppose that progressive, super liberal president, then you are not only un-American, but you need to be in jail, you need to be punished, you need to be pushed to the ground, um, and 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 taken out of the public discourse. And I think you're going to see the the regret, the 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 fact that regrets, you know, people sin at haste and repent at leisure, is one that this this particular lesson is going to apply uh, in the near future. Although I have to say, I'm not sure that it's going to be the regrets going to come from a Democratic president or a progressive president imposing these same kinds of, um, you know, personal is political um, rules. I think that the problem here is that you're going to. S- snuff out a lot of the resistance to what's already happening with this stuff, right? I mean, what's, what Donald Trump is doing is transforming government. And, and, and you and I probably disagree about a lot of what makes, for instance, a good judge. Um, but mm-hmm. I can't imagine you are happy with the way he seems to be transforming, you know, judgeships and, and the courts. Like, He's I mean, again, you might disagree with me that diversity is inherently a good thing, but it's like 90 percent, you know, white people. It's like 70 percent men. They're all younger. They're all federalist suggestions, but a lot of them are not particularly qualified, you know, and they're going to these are lifetime appointments and they're just going to be rubber stamping a lot of the Trump agenda. I have a corollary to the Buckley rule about appointing judges. I want the most qualified, most conservative. (laughs) <laughs> because I want judges who aren't going to be overturned. Right. I, I, in the lower courts, I want judges who, who are going to ex- display solid legal reasoning. And yes, I want them to be in a framework that respects the law, the Constitution, um, and, 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 and the principles of limited government. I, I, I really, really strongly want that. But I think there are a number of people you know, that, 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 that conservatives are very happy with that he's appointed, and a number of people that they're... That they're um, that they're that they're 
hopeful about. <laughs> but I do think there are also some people who are sneaking through the process because not many people want to go uh, and and go through the ringer right now trying to be a Trump uh, appointee of any kind. Yeah. Well, so I think you, you, you're getting a few of those guys who are going to be some jokers in the uh, in the deck uh, as we go forward. And I, you and I have argued about voting rights before, voter ID at least before. But I also think that that's another place where like Trump is kind of making sure that it's going to be harder for anyone to come along and change the stuff that he's doing. I think the the, the, the voter question that's that is of interest to me right now is on the one hand, yes, he's trying to you know do the Chris Kobach style. Um, you know, vote, voter restrictions and whatnot. He's not trying to do anything to secure our elections against. Yes, exactly. That too. <laughs> um, there are two things happening. And, you know, <laughs> while, while he's focused on the imaginary three million Mexicans who, um, not who, so worried about the Russians, right? Soros and, and Hillary Clinton got to vote in California um, last year, and and it's and it's just a it's it's a ridiculous. It's a ridiculous construct on his part, but it, but you know, his people believe it, but you know, so, but that threat, that threat of, of a, uh, of a, you know, change in the voting chemistry in the country is real, but it's also somewhat offset by the fact that, you know, the, the intensity among democratic voters right now is so sky high yeah, and among Republicans, it's sort of, eh, yeah, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, let's, let's hang. Let's hang on. Let's try to let's try to keep our let's try to keep our shit in gear. Yeah. Um, you know. The, so it, so it's not really there's not really the same parallel intensity. And you know the other fact of the matter is you know the the, the redistricting uh, cases now are falling quickly, and more and more states are going to a nonpartisan yeah. districting format, which is going to take apart. Some of, I mean, that's. It. I mean, you're that, you're that you're sending you're sending hopeful about that part of it, but there is like the larger question too, which is the part about vo- about voter fraud that they really don't care about, the Russian voter fraud. Yeah, but but I, I, right, they don't care about Russian voter fraud at all. But I don't think they've really got a, a lot of legislative oomph right now to pass anything meaningful in the 2018 cycle. Um, I mean, the last thing Paul Ryan wants to talk about right now is voter fraud. <laughs> and the last thing he wants to talk about is is election reform. Those things are not uh, front and center issues for them. And and they recognize already what a deep hole they're in for 2018. Right. Um, so I don't think they're going to try to go out and do. I mean, it's like, it's like if they had a list of ways to piss off African-American and Hispanic voters, they've already checked off like nine out of the 10 boxes. for these. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. And so, you know, let's talk, though. Let's talk about, you know, these conservatives are going to be mad about your book. Um, or I, I should say Republicans or, or Trumpkins that are going to be mad about your book um, and the people yeah. that are that are sort of I guess there's the people that are going to be mad about your book. And then there's the people who are meh about voting and elections right now. And I'm curious. So. Are either of those groups of people gettable? Well, I think there's a large group of people right now that are gettable that that are that would surprise the Trump uh, advocates, and those people are the folks who legitimately were economic anxiety cases. Because there are people that voted for Trump who really, really looked at the overall economy and the tax system and everything else and said, "We're getting screwed." And no one's going to help us, and no one's going to save us, and no one's here for us. And I think that those people right now have suddenly decided they're going to pay—they're paying three dollars a gallon for gas, 
and they, and they're not seeing massive uh, turnarounds on the tax bill. They're not seeing huge amounts of money in their pocket on, on the tax cut. They're not seeing these things that, that they thought they would see, these economic miracles. These magical trade deals he was going to, mm. to, to do have started to screw farmers in the Midwest and started to screw manufacturers in the in the in the northeast and the upper midwest they started to screw people who are shipping things out of long beach so you know you you're seeing a lot of these impacts that, that they thought would be this magical transformation and they're not seeing it mm-hmm. so if we have one bump in this economy i think you're going to see a bunch of people who voted for donald trump the legitimate economic anxiety. I'm glad you're. I'm but glad you're making the distinction between the legitimate economic anxiety, and the, and the like. Oh, let's yeah. say less because legitimate you, economic anxiety, you, right? Also, right. The other economic anxiety cases are what I call the pointy white hat guys <laughs> who want to excuse, excuse the fact that the pointy white hat economists. Like yes. Yeah, the pointy white hat economy. They they, they, they want to excuse their their your hatred for anybody who's darker than a latte. Uh, yeah, you know, by by saying, oh well, uh, jobs, my job. Yeah, but there are people that are economically insecure. There are people who are legitimately economically insecure. Yes, absolutely. And and look, that that's those are the a lot of those people and, voted for Hillary, by the way. But yeah, you're right. There were some of them didn't, and more of them could. Right, more of them could vote Democrat. Right. And I think you saw in Pennsylvania what the 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 P- Pennsylvania 18 race should be the, the race that scares the crap out of Republicans, okay? Right. Most Republicans are scared of the crap scared out of them because of Virginia. That's legitimate, okay? That's a purple state. That's a preview, uh, and that should scare them. But what should really scare the crap out of them is Pennsylvania 18, where Rick Saccone brought the entire Trump portfolio, trade war, dangerous Mexican gangs coming to rape your, rape your children, um, you know, the, uh, they the brought whole... Trump. Thin, the whole thinly veiled, right? The whole thinly veiled. It's us white Christians against the dangerous brown horde, you know, language, and it completely backfired because Connor Lamb went out there and ran as a as a damn Bill Clinton centrist Democrat. Right. And those people in those people in Pennsylvania and Ohio and Tennessee and Kentucky and West Virginia and Michigan and Wisconsin and, and Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Those people who are who are the legitimate economic anxiety folks, those folks all said, "Oh shit, you know we got to we got to change something. We got to do something different." Well, they did it with Trump, and it, and if it doesn't show immediate large scale results, I think those people become a gettable category again. I think they become an addressable group again in our in our in our in our voting population. I think they become a a an accessible group again. You know, um, because look, the, the charm of Trumpism is thin. It's a narrow band of people who who love the fuck you populism of Donald Trump. Yeah. And, and you know, so every reporter is a frustrated political strategist, right? You know that. Um, and so I'm going to, but so I want to run my idea about a political strategy by you as a, as an actual professional political strategist who sometimes now pretends to be a journalist. Because um, it does, I guess that street run both ways. We, we have we have we have uh, occupation envy of each other in this field. So my my idea is, I do think that Democrats should not run on impeachment. I do think that's a mistake. I think that they should be. I do think you're correct. Careful about running against Trump's corruption. And here's my thinking on that, because talking about corruption just sours people on the entire political project. Like, I think talking about corruption too much just makes them think they hate politics. 
because politics is inherently I agree corrupt. with that. I, I completely agree with that assessment. Is and, and and I mean, let's cover the impeachment angle first. Yeah. Um, you know, look, Republican voters right now. Let's take that Trump base voter. Let's just let's just round number and big picture round numbers and say forty percent Republican base number. Those people right now, twenty five percent of those people would set themselves on fire if Donald Trump said he wounded. Right. Okay, they would burn themselves to the ground. They would, they would, they would, they would kill their own children in their beds if Donald Trump said, "Do this for me." Yeah, those people aren't going to change. They're stuck. They're done, um, and they're going to come out to vote against people, but not for people. This is what we learned in Virginia. Mm-hmm. Okay, those people will come out to vote against um, somebody, but they won't come out and vote for you. Because Trump voters, the hardest core Trump voters, only care about Trump. They're not generic Republicans. They're not Republicans right. who are going to vote the party line. They are truly they Trumpists. Care about Trump. They are truly yeah, Trumpist and not, not Republican. The, yeah, that twenty to twenty-five percent of the Republican Party that is just you know the the. They're a cult with everything but bonnets and prairie skirts at this point. Okay, it's just they're just not uh, addressable. Now, a lot of other Republicans who try to accommodate Trump or figure it out or live within Trump or make the best of it, you know, or take the sort of opportunistic approach to how we're going to handle today's climate. Well, those people are the ones who are like, oh, fart. I live in a district that you know Donald Trump. My lost by six points, and my Republican candidate's going to is polling back eight or nine or ten. What do I do? And th- so, and those those candidates find themselves caught on the horns of a dilemma. Do you come out and, and blow up Trump, which is what sixty five percent of your voters really want to hear, or do you double down, like some of these assholes have doubled down, and and try to and try to flip this thing upside down and and and, and pretend that Trump isn't. You know, isn't isn't in the room. Pretend right. that it isn't that, that none of this is happening, etc. So, you know, they're they're in a tough spot, and I don't think you're going to see impeachment as something that that does anything except rev up that hardcore Trump base. Right, and you might not necessarily yeah, get the Democrats the enough good Democrats you need if you run on impeachment. Like you won't get you- right. I mean, I think Democrats want people to say, "I'm going to impeach the president." I think they really want to hear those words. But they should discipline themselves and not want to hear those words or understand that we know, that, won't necessarily hear those words de, from a candidate. Like right, the, the, right, and the and the, the de facto outcome of saying, "I want uh, the law to be followed. I want the special prosecutor to do his job. I want to see an outcome that is that is you know within the bounds of the law and fair and legitimate." That's 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 all the code that's, you need, man. That's like it's clear to people that. You know, because look, as as we're learning so far, if you follow the law, we've got 19 people who've been indicted so far in this yeah. whole thing. Yeah, we've got a lot of subjects, suspects, and 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 folks who are going to be you know perp walks now or soon um, in in relation to this whole Cohen Trump Russia you know shenanigan. The truth is, most of us are brushing our teeth wrong, or for not long enough, or we forget to change our brush on time. And that's because most toothbrush brands focus on selling you the toothbrush rather than getting you to brush better. But not Quip. What makes Quip so different? Well, for starters, Quip is an electric toothbrush that's a fraction of the cost of bulkier brushes, while still packing just the right amount of vibrations to help clean your teeth. Quip's built-in timer helps you clean for the dentist-recommended two minutes with guiding pulses that remind you when to switch sides. 
Next, Quip subscription plans are for your health, not just for your convenience. They deliver new brush heads on a dentist-recommended schedule every three months for just $5, including free shipping worldwide. Quip also comes with a mouth, suctions right to your mirror, and unsticks to use as a cover for hygienic travel wherever it is you take your teeth. And finally, everyone loves Quip. They were on Oprah's O-List. They were named one of Time's Best Inventions, and it is the first subscription electric toothbrush accepted by the American Dental Association. They are also backed by a network of over 20,000 dentists and hygienists and hundreds of thousands of happy brushers who use Quip every day or twice a day. So get your first refill pack for free at getquip.com slash friends. That's getquip, G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash friends. If you listen to this program on a regular basis, you might know or be familiar with my husband, John. He is a particular person and he loves the black tux. He's a stylish guy, but he's not, you know, flashy and he's a little bit risk averse. As I've said before, he's he's temperamentally conservative. The black tux allows him to experiment with new styles without committing. It allows him to dress up kind of differently for different events, not just the same old tux every time. Uh, we've been to the theater. We have been to, and yes, I just said the theater. Uh, we've been to the theater. We've been to fundraisers. We have a wedding coming up. And the black tux never gets old because they always have new and exciting styles for every big event. Now, whether you're going for a stylist-selected outfit or building a custom look, the Black Tux has tons of new suits and tuxedos for you to choose from for those big spring events. Weddings, fundraisers, balls, galas. The Black Tux is always changing up their looks, making it fun to try out different suits and tuxedos. So even if you have your own suit or tuxedo, you can switch it up with the Black Tux. And with their new fit algorithm, you don't have to awkwardly measure yourself or ask a friend for help. The Black Tux does it for you. Plus, the Black Tux offers free home try-ons and lets you see the fit and feel and quality of your suit months before the event. After ordering, the suit will arrive 14 days before your event. And returns are simple. Just wear it, turn heads, then send it back three days after. Shipping is free both ways. So stand out at your next event for the right reasons with the Black Tux. To get $20 off your purchase, visit theblacktux.com slash friends. That's theblacktux.com slash friends for $20 off your purchase. The Black Tux, premium rental suits and tuxedos delivered. Journalist Mehdi Hassan is known around the world for his televised takedowns of presidents and prime ministers. He hosts Upfront on Al Jazeera and is a columnist for The Intercept. And in his new podcast, Deconstructed, Mehdi unpacks a game-changing news event of the week while challenging the conventional wisdom in a tight, 30-minute package, a little quicker than what we do here. He starts his show with his take on one topic and what the mainstream news is getting wrong or what context is being missed. And then he goes into a deep analysis and conversation with his guest or guests of the week. And get this, his guests have included Judd Apatow, Bernie Sanders, and Hassan Minhaj. So he kind of covers the gamut. I would say, in terms of who you might be expecting. Um, It's everyone from comedians to politicians to, for instance, Stefan Clark's fiance. So you're going to hear from a lot of different people. And the show has covered such topics as the violence in Gaza from the perspective of Israeli activists against the occupation and, of course, police shootings, as through the eyes of the fiance of Stefan Clark. Also, he's talked about the dangers of John Bolton with former diplomats. 
As a Brit and a Muslim, an immigrant based in Donald Trump's Washington, D.C., Mehdi Hassan gives a refreshingly provocative perspective on the ups and downs of American and global politics. Deconstructed is a show that cuts through political drivel and media misinformation to give you a straight take on one big news story of the week. It is out every Friday, just like this pod. You can listen and subscribe at theintercept.com slash deconstructed or on any podcast platform. I want to talk about Cohen and Giuliani because I want to jump in and say I completely I think we're just, I can't believe we're on the same page exactly about something, but we are on this idea that the, what you need to say is not impeach the motherfucker, although I do want to impeach the motherfucker. It's accountability. It's a message about accountability and the rule of law. And if you talk about accountability, it is a Democrat. You can also talk about, for instance, holding Nancy Pelosi accountable if you want to. And I'm actually kind of a Nancy Pelosi stan, but if you're a Democrat and say you want to hold her accountable, how can I argue with that? Right. Well, like I, I think, uh, look, hold I, everybody yeah, accountable. Hold the you you that is a Democrat should be running to hold everyone accountable. Like Once again, you got Connor Lamb who says, "Yeah, I know. I'm not going to Washington to be Nancy Pelosi's employee. I'm going to Washington to work for the people of Pennsylvania." 18. Perfect message. And and it is it is a perfect message, and and it plays in a weird way. It cross cuts the populism stuff in a very weird way because right now people think, oh, populism means. That rah rah, he's only going to be about you know Trump trade stuff, et cetera. No, part of populism is is making Washington accountable to the people who own it. Yep, and that should be the American people. Part of populism, smarter, better populism, is is making the people in Washington put lobbyists who come in the office, you know, with a big fat check, you know, second in line to people who come to a town hall meeting and when he'd be heard. This is literally the message and, of the progressive party, by the way, you know, like this, this is literally well, and, and, like and what listen, progressivism is founded on. One of my, one of my, my objections right now to, to where the Republican party has gone is, you know, we fought for years against crony capitalism. Mm-hmm. Well, my party threw a gigantic <laughs> shit fit over Solyndra. Okay. That's right. We that's threw right. A gigantic, hissy fit over Solyndra. Kids, look you know it what? up. <laughs> Solyndra, Solyndra is Trump speak for coal. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you know, look, I mean, this administration has been, going, has been going out of its way to help the coal mining industry, the banking industry, the title loan companies. Um, and, you know, and it's just, it, it, the, the solution isn't, it doesn't have to be gigantic regulatory state to stop all these bad things in the economy from happening, but it also shouldn't be set the rules so the so the worst fucking dickheads in our in our economy and our politics are unaccountable. Again, accountability and, is a great message that the Democrats can own if they want to, because sure. it, they're, they're going to be the only party arguing for Main it. Street. Huh? We're talking good game about Main Street. Yeah. But, you know, we rarely address it because we've come to this point where we're like, oh, well, if it's a business, whatever it does is good. <laughs> I'm gonna, <you're> gonna <laughs> and, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's a stupid flip side to the Democratic, or Democratic argument for years. If it's the government, everything it does is good. Well, I mean, and it was, we only used to mock that argument and, and correctly, I think. But but now to the extent you know, anyone actually makes that argument. Own, but yes. Hmm? Yes, to the extent anyone ever actually made that argument, but yes, I understand yeah. your point. Well, I mean, look, there, there, there was a there's a broad there's a broad liberal 
thinking in the country of, you know, if we can regulate things the right way and, and build a big enough room full of smart guys, we can help everybody's lives be better. Yeah, that's... And, yeah, I mean, okay, now we're going to digress, and I don't want to digress because we're going to digress into something yeah, we I actually know, disagree with, and I like agreeing with you. It's like my favorite thing to do. So <laughs> I want to ask you about something that actually I don't know what exactly to think about. Um, people mm-hmm. keep asking me, which is that, so Korea, does this mean that Trump is a secretly a genius? Like, I get asked that all the time, well, and I, you're, you're for, grand, you know for, my... foreign policy than, than I do. You, you're in that world. But I know one of my grandmother's favorite phrases was there's many a slip betwixt the cup and the lip. Right. And, you know, a lot of American leaders, a lot of American diplomats, a lot of American presidents have thought we've made a deal with North Korea. It's done. We're good. Everything's great. Bill Clinton thought he'd shut down Young Bon and, 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 and killed their uh, program for, for nuclear weapons development. He really believed it. He had not. George Bush. Barack Obama. And I can go further back. We've seen rapprochement before, um, you know, and the, the prior rapprochements included a hug between the president, you know, between Kim's father and the then president of South Korea. So none of these things um, are the conclusion of a deal. They're the beginning of a deal. And look, if Donald Trump manages to help in some way broker a non-nuclear North Korea, God bless him. Hallelujah. Great job. Um, that said, I am deeply skeptical of. <laughs> yes, deeply. I think deeply is a good word. Deeply, deeply skeptical. Yeah, deeply skeptical of, of, of any kind of, uh, of any kind of, of, of deal that isn't a done deal. Right. I mean, when I see them pouring concrete into the reactor chambers. And when I see Kim's uh, nukes being rolled onto, rolled onto trucks and taken to, to, to a U.S. military base to be disposed of, that's a deal. Right. Um, when I see them stop building intercontinental-capable ballistic missiles, that's a deal. Um, but in the meantime, Mr. Give-me-the-Nobel-Prize because I'm awesome, uh, I think is, is way, 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 way over his skis. I just keep pointing out they gave it to Kissinger. Like, it's not like they're fucking perfect. You know, I mean, <laughs> like, <laughs> sure, give him the Nobel. If Kissinger got it, it doesn't really mean that much. And also Obama got it for less. Right. Like, I love I you know I love my I love my guy, Obama. But <laughs> it wasn't like he earned the Peace Prize when they gave it to him either. So, no, he, he had not. And, and, <laughs> and Republicans rightly in, in varying degrees of seriousness, okay, right. in, in varying degrees of, of seriousness, said either, um, this is silly, um, he hasn't done anything yet, and, and the Nobel was always for accomplishment, not for encouragement. Um, but on the other hand, on the flip side of that, of that equation, there was always this sense of, of you, know, uh, you know, maybe Barack Obama will, will broker these amazing deals because he's this transformative figure, yada, yada, yada. Well, I'm sorry, I didn't buy it then. I don't buy it now. Diplomacy is a grind, not a not a sprint as a general rule. Okay, one more foreign policy question, which is that I've heard an argument that pulling out of the Iran deal will be something that might squash any hope of a Korea deal working out. That they'll see what that we've fucked over Iran 
and be like, yeah, maybe uh, they'll give that gives us a good reason to not trust you now. Not maybe if they're looking for there, reasons. There, there is an argument there. I do think though that there's a certain degree of um, you don't have the same external pressure point in in, in the form of China um, pressing on Iran as as North Korea has China pressing on it right now. Right. I mean, China right now is looking for fewer and fewer reasons. I mean, there was a long period where China kind of liked having North Korea as the shitty neighbor mm-hmm. and the destabilized. Made their lawn look and, good. And a, and, a, and a sink of American power and a, and a way the American power couldn't right. focus itself fully on China, but had to, we had to put this tremendous amount of cash and resources into South Korea. They liked that for a long time. Right. I don't think they see the same value added at this point to having the cookie neighbor the eccentric guy with nukes as their as their client state that they did previously. Oh, so you think there is some hope for for a North Korea deal of some kind? That this would be a moment well, for it to China happen. Has, I think China I think China is the is the unspoken factor in this. Hmm. I think China I think China may want something less unstable around them. And and, and they also <laughs> see they also see that that there's a marketplace uh, in South Korea, right? That that is absolutely, you know, the, it's, it's the hottest economy on the globe right now, and mm-hmm. so you know, the, people don't make money um, across the spectrum during you know during wars. A few people make a ton of money, but a lot of people don't make a lot of money. Right. So they would rather make a lot of money. I was only yeah. laughing because I guess China now is thinking, well, we already have an unstable partner in Trump, so we don't need the unstable partner in North Korea. Like, right. just deal with one right. unstable person at a time. Like, that's their thinking. Exactly. And speaking of unstable people, we're dealing with one unstable person at a time. News is probably going to overcome this, but I have to ask you what you think of Rudy Giuliani's um, tour of of the talk shows and uh, <laughs> and his extraordinary yoga feat of inserting many feet in one mouth. Um, well, as you know, I, I think you and I met when I was still working for Rudy back in like 99, oh, wow. 2000, back in the dawn of time here. Yeah. Um, and, and I got to tell you, uh, the, the, the surviving Rudy alumni society's email chain last night was lit. <laughs> 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 It was something that, that did not that did not end the way they thought it would end. I don't think. I mean, the the, the expression on Sean Hannity's face, trying to let Rudy dig himself out of the hole, and and, and Sean desperately trying to give Rudy a, an out. I was just like, oh my lord, this is the craziest effing thing I've seen all day. And that's and that and and these days, saying it's the craziest thing you've seen all day takes some doing. Yeah, I mean, I've always I liked the metaphor that Sean Hannity looks like an angry thumb. <laughs> and it, it was like, yes. and that's mostly because he's just got that hair and a Botox forehead. But his forehead was really trying to wrinkle, like really just. It, oh, it was. It was. <laughs> yeah, just honest to God, Henry. If 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 Sean Hannity had put a lump of coal in his ass before the show, <laughs> a diamond would have popped out by the time Rudy was done. He clearly was not happy with the answer he was getting. He clearly he was so he was so like, oh fuck, so, I know what's happening. So here. knowing I, he could tell. What was going to go? Knowing Rudy, what, what, what the fuck? What do you think is happening? Listen, I, I haven't, you know, I saw Rudy at LaGuardia a couple of weeks ago, but I haven't had a, you know, a heart to heart with Rudy since, since 15 because of Trump, right. you know, he was with him pretty much. He was with J 
Jeb for a while and Marco for a while and who the hell knows. But then he went with Trump and that sort of divided, you know, a guy, a guy I spent a lot of time with right. over the years. Then, you know, and and went through a lot of wars with. Um, and so I, I felt like there was this uh, situation last night where you see a guy who knows he's got, you know, he's in his, he's in his seventies now. He knows this is the last big turn around the track. Um, and you know, why not go down in history as one of the super lawyers that saved a president? Mm. And I think that, I think that there's been a mismatch, um, in Trump's mind from the beginning about what kind of attorneys he needs. And, and he, loves what Rudy did last night. He went out there and he just, you know, tore it up. And Trump thinks he's a warrior. He's a fighter. He's an ass kicker. Well, and the lawyers like Emmett Flood, I'm sure going, Oh, holy shit. What the hell is this disaster? Because I mean, he opened up three or four new lines of approach, not only on the civil side, but on the, on the, on the special counsel side to talk about Trump and his money and how things are shifting around and Michael Cohen's role in these things and their communications. And, and, I was speechless and I'm never speechless. I sat there just watching it thinking this cannot be real life. This can't be real. Yeah. I'm recovering from some surgery and I'm saying this because this cannot be real. <laughs> I it, I saw it live too and it was um you know I've already I mean Hannity's show is already kind of an alternate universe but it's usually oh, gosh, yeah. more of a a meth-addled fever dream and not quite like such a LSD experience. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Yeah, I could go with that. <laughs> and it also lasted much longer than you'd want it to, which is like, a lot like tripping, you know, like it just kept mm-hmm. going. <laughs> I went off, I went off, I went off. Um, like for the love of God, make this stop. So I think we've covered everything that I, I, I mean, we have not covered everything because I mean something has probably happened in the in the forty minutes we've been recording that we haven't talked about. I haven't had the television on or the computer open while we've been talking because I like to focus. Yes, um, but I'm sure when I turn the TV on, there will be some Chiron that 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 two years or four years ago we would have looked at and said, "Oh my God, the world is ending." Yeah, I, what I the hell. I, I mean, I'm trying to wrap this up, but I just have to share. So my my husband's uh, political awakening has been in the Trump era, right? So mm-hmm, we mm-hmm. he it's weirdly kind of normal for him to have all of this be happening. Like this is what he's used to, to some extent. And so like last night we're going to bed and he actually turned to me and said, so this interview that Rudy did, I mean, is it, is it that bad? And I was just like, (laughs) (laughs) and I mean, poor guy. And I was like, I mean, think of, I was like, dear, think about this. Like if nothing else, he seems to have confirmed that Trump had an affair with this woman. Right. That was until this morning when it was all cleared up. Right. Um, and, oh, yeah. and, and and John, John was like, oh, right. And that's bad. <laughs> yeah, we used to think that was bad. We used to think yeah, we used to people think we, we used to think those things were bad. My, my, a lot of my conservative evangelical friends. I used to be very, very clearly informed that infidelity was one of the worst things that could happen with a political figure because it spoke to all their other values. That was in the before time. <laughs> and uh, It was in the before time. All right, Rick. When does the book come out? Uh, the book comes out on August 7th. Okay. Well, we'll talk to you before then. So you have a chance to promote it. I look more. forward to it. All right. Thank you so much. Rick will be back hopefully about once a month. Please stay tuned for Ira and myself and that listener question.
Squarespace makes beautiful products to help people with creative ideas succeed. I am a Squarespace user. I have been a Squarespace user since long before they were a sponsor on the program, since before I had a podcast. And I absolutely love it. Not only do I get a simple, clean, beautiful template of design, but I recently got an intern, Liam, hi, if you're listening, and I handed over administration of the site to him. And it was super, super easy just to give him all the permissions that he needed without, you know, every permission. Uh, And he could build on templates to have everything that he did new for the site look like the stuff that I had already done. It's completely seamless. It's easy for me to oversee and easy for him to do. I absolutely love it. So... Squarespace empowers millions of people, from individuals and local artists to entrepreneurs shaping the world's most iconic businesses to share their stories and create impactful, stylish, and easy-to-manage online presences. Squarespace strives for excellence with beautiful templates created by world-class designers and powerful e-commerce functionality that lets you sell anything online. I may try that someday. And there are analytics that help you grow. With 24-7 award-winning customer support, there's nothing to patch or upgrade ever. Check out squarespace.com slash friends for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code CONVOS, that's CONVOS, to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Destiny is calling. It says you need a new website. Make it with Squarespace. I hope you are all listening to Pod Save the People, hosted by educator and activist and fellow Minneapolis, DeRay McKesson. The show just launched its second season on May 1 with special guest, the Brene Brown, who I am a big fan of. If you don't know about her, I command you to go and look up her stuff now. It's all about self-worth and self-value and vulnerability. And I love that she talked to DeRay. But they have their incredible news crew back as well. Brittany Packnett, Samson Yahweh, and Clint Smith. I have learned a lot from this show A lot about listening to other people, a lot about the discussions that we have uh, as white people and really how we should be listening more than talking a lot of the time. Uh, And they talk about a lot of issues that get lost in covering the Trump madness, Um, issues around voting, around criminal justice, around housing, around student loans, all of that stuff. So listen, it is a great supplement to your media diet. And if you are listening to this show, I swear to God, you would like DeRay's show. Pod Save the People is hopeful, and it provides a distinct activist lens to what's happening in the world. Like I said, the criminal justice system, the education system, the housing system, all of that. The policies that impact people of color and also just gives a sense of what you can do to make the world a more equitable place. Check it out. And as regular listeners to the show may know, we encourage listeners to write in with questions that they may have on the intersection of politics and the personal relationships and policy. And that is something that Derek did. He wrote in to withfriendslikepod at Gmail, which is where you can write in. And he included an audio version of his question, which is something that you can do as well. Here's Derek's question. Hey, this is Derek Glatz, and I have a quick question. What are some arguments I can use with someone who claims to not be prejudiced against people of color based on their race or nationality, but at the same time claims that black culture is inherently violent and lazy? Ira, thanks for joining me to answer this listener question. Hello. It's quite a question. Yeah, it is. I think I'm going to make some assumptions about this person. I'm going to assume they're white. I think that we can make that assumption. Um, I'm, I'm going to assume they had nothing better to do. <laughs> their day and type up this question 
This question is wild. Uh, only a white person would ask this question. All of them are white. It's just it's just white nonsense. It's white noise. It's 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 white snow. It's white rabbit. <laughs> it's white chocolate. It's, no, it's Reykjavik. <laughs> that's how white it is. It's ice. <laughs> um, it's Smirnoff ice in an ice castle. I don't know what would possess someone to ask this question. I also don't know why Derek asked this question. This seems like common sense. Well, um, I mean, I actually so I think there's probably a lot of white people. Well-intentioned white people are the main you know, focus group of my show. Mm. Um, being a well-intentioned white person myself. Yes. And I'm going to be honest, which is that I could see myself asking this question at some point in my life. So let's go back it's, a little bit to how you know this is a white person asking it. Because if, if a black person wouldn't ask this question because... Well, because we have common sense. <laughs> also, it's wild that the, the, the question also doesn't even say black people are inherently violent and lazy. It's this black culture, which is wild because, um, you know, most of American fashion and, you know, music genres and um, the buildings that our presidents live in were (laughs) built by black people and black culture. So, you know, the idea that black people are lazy or black culture is even lazy or inherently violent is, you know, it's just, it's nonsense Fox News racism that's peddled every day. And that person isn't either playing with a full deck or they're racist, you know? So, well, the person he's talking to is clearly racist. And yes. I just want to point out the reason why it seems clear to me that a black person would ask, not ask a question like this. And- I'm not prejudiced against color, but here's some prejudice against color. <laughs> it's wild. I don't know who this person is, Derek. Right. I, I, I would, love you to stop talking to them ever. But yeah, I mean, um, I think that's the right response. It's just not a person to engage. not someone you want to engage with. But to know, to have a drink with, to have dinner with, to have in your life. What I think about when I see this question, though, is something that I didn't think about as a white person until relatively recent in my life, was that this is a question that reason why black people don't think about it is because it's actually just part of their lives. Well, it's yes. just dealing with racists is something that a black person has to do all the fucking time. So to ask a question like, how do I deal with a racist is like, how do I breathe air? Yeah. Like, I think that's something that white people don't quite process. Does that, am I making sense? I guess. It's, yes. I know it's, a, it's silly, but the idea that like someone would have to just deal with anger and hate like all the time. True. I guess. I don't know. I, d- I don't see how Derek has to deal with this person. Who is this person? Yeah. I want the receipts. I want to know who it is. <laughs> I want to know I want to know where they live. Assuming their address. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Well, let's go to the next I don't step, really like, care. I don't really right. care about this person. Derek should know better than this. Um, and don't entertain arguments like this for people because that's such a loaded, wild question. It's not even like a microaggression question. It's It's full Hulk. I think that the kind of place to land after all this is basically something that's come up on the show before. I feel like I give this answer all the time. But like if someone is in your life is a racist, you have to decide, is this person important enough in some way to keep in my life? And that should be a pretty high bar. They never are. That is one argument. I mean, I have mixed I have in-laws that I would have to make some interesting choices about well say goodbye maybe that's a question for another show hmm? maybe that's a question for another let's show. answer it now just say goodbye 
I, Let's pull out your phone. <laughs> Let's say goodbye. I'm laughing. It's time to say goodbye. I'm laughing, but like, I guess this, no, it's a serious question, which is like, what level of racism is the one that you have to tell people, I don't want you in my life at all? Is it this kind of racism, which definitely would it's be. It's definitely that kind of racism. Yeah. Yeah. Or is it just like the people who like, I don't understand why Colin Kaepernick is protesting racism. Yeah, that's most racism. Um, yeah, you know, that's a bit more innocuous. That would be a question that, you know, I would think someone could ask and, you know, want a nuanced response to. This just doesn't even deserve a nuanced response. Right. So, you know, it's just, it's just there. Right. So, Derek. Give it up, Derek. All right. Give up your white friend. And that's almost it for the show. I have an editorial note. I am not sure what the overlap is between the many people who wrote in to defend Sam Harris and the kinds of folks who listen all the way to the end of the program, but there's probably a few of you. And so I want to say many people wrote in to defend Sam Harris from an implication that I made on the episode with Chris Stedman, where I said, I'm thinking about Sam Harris and race science and thinking I can't possibly be a racist because my feelings about black people are based on science. I did not intend to channel Sam Harris there. He has, as many listeners have pointed out, said unequivocally that he does not endorse race science himself. Rather, he simply sought with his interview with Charles Murray to, uh, I don't know, banish some PC shibboleth. In any case, this is a debate I don't wish to dwell on. If you are curious about Sam Harris's exact views, I encourage you to listen to his interview with Charles Murray and then to listen to the joint podcast episode with Fox's Ezra Klein. Everything that you could possibly want to know is gone into in exquisite detail. But I do apologize for implying something about Sam Harris that he does not actually believe. And now we're at the end of the show. If you're listening to this, you must be a super, super fan. So of course, please go rate and review on iTunes and suggest us to your friends. And more than anything, please take care of yourself. And we'll be back next week. Ready for an amazing deal? BreezeLine's fiber-powered internet starting at $19.99 per month offers the reliability you deserve and security you can trust. Whether you're streaming, gaming, or working from home, we've got all your needs covered with speeds up to 1 gig and our two-year price lock guarantee. This deal gets even better with two free months of internet, free equipment, and free Wi-Fi your way to protect against cyber threats. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires July 8, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. Save big money on everything for your projects. Now at Menards. We have it all for garden and landscaping essentials. Visit our outdoor garden center today and update your backyard space. Grid accents lattice panels have a timeless design with an innovative design that's simple to install and requires almost no maintenance. Save big on lattice panel options at Menards. View our entire selection of garden center products today on Menards.com. Save big.